2: the podcast I host again mr mark roberts and delighted to welcome two guests with me today firstly joining me again mr stephen Beaumont adam how are you doing stephen great thank you and this is a person miss steve that me and you have been trying to get on a pod with for about three four years so delighted to welcome mr ai himself dave henrick how are you doing dave i'm good mate
0: i'm good it's about time we managed to get this put
2: together it is, with schedules, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, COVID, it's been a long time, but yeah, delighted, I've been trying to get on a pod with you for a while, and I know Stephen has as well, so we thought now's as good a time as any, we'll have a good chat, just about how good this red machine that Jürgen Klopp has built up has become, even with all the injuries we've got currently.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think people think I'm a bit of a prick, because I say I'll do podcasts where everybody, and then just schedule and life gets in the way of things, but um, when Stephen was, we was chatting to Stephen recently about um about the new Football Manager game, and he's like, "Oh, you should jump on the pod with me and Mark." And I was like, "You know what? Me and Mark have been trying to get something together for years, so let's do it as soon as possible." And thankfully, you guys were able to make this work today. So it's nice to, it's nice to have a chat, you know, especially about the Reds when they're so good.
2: Absolutely, I think when we first started, it was I think it was the season after thirteen, fourteen, wasn't it, when it was all. Going disastrously wrong for Mister Brendan too. It's nice to have a chat now when we're current league and world champions still.
0: That's exactly the thing. Um, Like we were lucky enough when we started AI, well, when we start, when Gag started (laughs) AI, (laughs) and uh, and he put the podcast together. It was like it was that thirteen fourteen season, and it just couldn't have worked out any better. That like the first year was basically that title challenge. And then it 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 kind of all fell off a cliff the next year under Brendan. But you know, since Kloppo came in, it has just been it's just been up and up and up and up with the the Europa League final, then the top four finish, top four finish in the Champions League final, win the Champions League, and then win the Premier League. I mean, you'd wonder what else Kloppo can accomplish. But I mean, if he pulls off the league this year with no Virgil, no Joe Gomez, and all the other injuries that is going to be one hell of a hell of an achievement for the man
1: i mean he managed to get rid of degsy so that's like a immediate benefit to the back four right
0: some of the some of the wonderful moves that this club have made like we've obviously bought incredible players but when you look at some of the sales like that's where you really just think like michael edwards and klopp have done themselves a belter here like this is this is tremendous stuff real money for degsy Six years of evidence that he's awful. More if you look back at his Leon career. But to get real money from a club uh, for the man is just is magnificent stuff. And, you know, when you you, know, you think Jordan Ibe, Bournemouth paid, what, 15 million for him? Let him go on a free this summer. Uh, we swapped... Kev Stewart for Andy Robertson basically straight up and they let him go on a free this summer. And Andy Robertson is now the best left back in the league and probably what top three in the world at worst. You, you just you have to smile at these type of things. This is what's made this club as good as they are right now.
2: So I'm going to jump in there and you've already got my brain working overdrive. We were talking before we went live. Do we have a schedule or anything or should we just have a chat about how good the Reds are? And you've said there about Michael Edwards, and obviously we all laud the job he's done. You often hear, like, when Tottenham sold Bale, for example, it was clear they were spending the Bale money. So if we're getting this ridiculous sums of money for people like Jordan I and Jerome Sinclair and even Rhian Bruce we got a fortune for, mm. how are we then in the same window, getting these players for such a good bargain, when the clubs know we've got money. It just doesn't seem to make logic sense, does it really, that he's good at both ends. You would think it would be one or the other, but to master both,
0: that's a special talent. That's the thing, because like you look at Chelsea who've become... I would say Chelsea are also very good at selling players. Um In large part, it's because they just stockpile players, so they've got so many to sell. That they just managed to move them on, and then the the cumulative uh, value of what they've sold like eight players for tends to be quite a wow figure. But then you look at the other side, and I think Chelsea overpay for players very very regularly, whereas we don't really do that. Um, I think a lot of people thought we'd overpaid for Jota. Those people have now, you know, admitted the error of their ways for the most part. We got Thiago for a, you know a song. I think what we do is we target very specifically, like obviously data plays a massive part in our recruitment. We've got we've got the best recruitment team in the world. There there can be no doubt about that at this point in the project. But I think what they do brilliantly is they don't just have one target. You look back at the Rogers era where we would go in for a player and not get them and then there'd be no fallback plan. You know, like you think back to that January transfer window where we tried to sign Kono Planka and there was no fallback plan. You think to when we tried to sign Mekitarian, there was no fallback plan for him either. Um, but you look at now, and we we obviously had had eyes on Timo Werner, and we would have signed Timo Werner if COVID hadn't happened. But because it did, we had to reassess, and we immediately had two other targets that we had done in-depth research on, we knew everything about them, we knew how they'd fit, we had their statistical profiles mapped out, we, we we tracked the graph of development as well, so we can pinpoint where a player is going, and then we can factor in, well, with the advantages in coaching that they'll get here with Klopp, with Pep and Linders, can we add another 10% to where their potential might be going? So when, when Timo didn't happen, we immediately had Ishmael Assar, And Jota as as two targets. We've obviously chosen to go for Jota. Look at how he's performed against Timo Werner, who cost, I think, $11 more. And Jota's outperformed him. Same thing at left-back. We knew we wanted a left-back. We went in for Jamal Lewis quite publicly. And when it became apparent that that deal was going to be a little bit over what we wanted to pay, we were just like, very simply, we'll just go and buy this other left-back that we've profiled and that we know is of a similar level, that we think is going to get to a similar point. So we signed Simicus. The club are very, very smart. They're they're just very, very smart.
1: I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Dave. And I think one thing is that something we've heard from Klopp for two, three, even four years is he often talks about opportunity when people ask him about players. And he always says, we'll wait for the right opportunity. So I think you're right. I think they're identifying a, a list of ex-players and he may have his preferences but then it's down to edwards and his team to find those moments so when jamal lewis's money got silly and shimikas became available within the budget he had available to him we signed him in what including transfers and covid flights what two three days yeah it was a really quick turnaround when we signed fabinho nobody knew a thing no like not even the good old grizz Kahn's of Twitter were rumoring it. Even Indicarli knew nothing. You know, there was none of this normal. All these ITKs were full of nonsense. It was literally uh, t- what ten o'clock at night or ten o'clock in the morning. I can't remember. And all the papers were like, "Oh, Liverpool are about to sign for And about an hour later, it was on the Liverpool website. Yeah. So I, th- I think I think we've just now got a highly professional organisation. You know, as the you know American sports call we've got a front office who know how to. Target people, how to negotiate and talk to people, and they have a different approach to you know, your Daniel Levy's and the chap from is it Leon, who's a bit of a nutcase. Oh, know, yeah, he's
0: a Yeah, yes. he,
1: like like they know how to go and find these moments. Like Cops said himself, we didn't think Jota would be available. Mm. But the second they did find out he was available, he got pulled from the match squad.
0: Yeah, that deal got done like, quick. like That That was another one of those deals where it just sort of, it popped up that Liverpool had interest. I think it was Melissa Reddy uh, reported that Liverpool had interest. And then within, I don't know, a couple of hours, the deal seemed to be done. And like you said, the Fabinho deal, it was just, it came from nowhere. And like all of these in the nose, look, there's only one... There's only one real in-the-know about Liverpool Football Club, and it's Graham Kelly. And people might not like that, but Graham Kelly does have good contacts at Liverpool, and he does get bits of information. But by his own admission, nowhere near the level of, of information he used to get, like when Ian Eyre was at the club and, and the club was just leaking information left, right, and centre, in part to pacify a fan base that were you know, demanding success. So, Look, we're in for this player, and we we weren't going to get the player, but we were in for him. But, like, the Fabinho thing is mad because, like, I think most people know that I love a good defensive midfielder. <laughs> and I had waited from the day Mascherano left for us to sign a good defensive midfielder. And as is typical with life, the night he was signed, a guy had gotten knocked off his bike on the lane I live on. And I brought him to the hospital. And I'm sitting in the waiting room in the hospital. I've got no phone or anything with me. I get home a couple of hours later and I have like hundreds of tweets, hundreds of texts, missed calls. I've got gags absolutely wiping the battery off my, off my phone due to WhatsApp messages because it was literally Liverpool have made a bid for Fabinho. And then as, as you said, it was, Stephen, it was like what 20 minutes later it was on the website. We, we've signed Fabinho and he's just like. It's it's incredible how quickly the club move, how aggressive they are as well. I think that's the big thing as well as Liverpool don't really half arse things anymore. Like we used to monitor. Remember that was the the, the buzzword. We'll, we're we're monitoring this or we're monitoring that, and now we just go and we do. Fabinho, he was available. We went and we got him. Klopp had identified that was an issue throughout the season. I'd imagine that deal was put in place, you know, a couple of months earlier. Um, or at least had been the process had been started a couple of months earlier, but Jota just it sort of popped up that Wolves were willing to do business and and we were straight in. Like I guess
1: I guess his agent might have been doing the rounds or something and he's hit the right person and they've pulled the trigger.
0: That's I think that is exactly it. I think a lot of this now is we do get agents playing more of a role in in transfers than maybe they used to. A lot of clubs use agents for the recruitment, like Arsenal. Um, use use agents for recruitment. Wolves, of course, exclusively use an agent in Jorge Mendes for recruitment. And you know, this we're we're one of the biggest clubs in the world. We're one of the best teams in the world. So if an agent is looking for a home for their player, if the player has been told, look, for the right fee, we will be willing to sell you. Maybe maybe Jota went to Wolves and said, look, you know, I think I've kind of hit my hit my limit here. I'm looking to move on. I want a new challenge. And Wolves may have said, okay knock on some doors, see what's out there, and if his agent called Liverpool and Liverpool were like, oh, OK, he, that's someone we were really interested in and we didn't think he'd be available or certainly didn't think he'd be available at a price that, that suited us in this market. And we jumped on it straight away. And I think that's what makes us so effective is how flexible we are. There's There's a couple of players that are like one of one and we were going to get them by hell or high water and we would wait for them. Virgil is the, the prominent example. I think Alison Becker was one of one as well. But like you look at Mo, we had been in for Julian Brand, he turned us down, we immediately pivoted to Mo. Um, Mane wasn't first choice either, but we, as soon as we got a no from Gotza, we immediately pivoted to Mane. And that deal got done very, very quickly as well. That was like a Sunday afternoon where it was just dropped by all the journalists at one time. Liverpool have made a bid for Mane. And by the Monday that deal was pretty much wrapped up as well. So like we we are very flexible, but when there's a a one of one type, and I think Naby's the other one that we can we can throw into that group, we are going to get that player no matter how long we have to wait, even if we have to pay past the point of what we're comfortable with, because if you think to Virgil, we were gonna sign him in the summer for like fifty four million rising to sixty come January, even though he hadn't played and when he had, he barely played and when he had played, he hadn't played well. We were like, we don't care. We're going to pay whatever it costs. £75 absolutely fine. No problem to us.
2: I think the way it's all sort of lined up is like the perfect storm, isn't it? So we've got Edwards at the head of the recruitment scouting team, if you like, but then having Klopp as manager and the success we've got at the same time, means one, in circumstances like that with Van Dyke, he's happy to wait as well. And I think you mentioned it on another pod, Dave, that these players that we've bought the last few years, nobody else has been really linked with them. It's almost like we're that attractive now to mm. players that once they know we're interested in, we hold all the trump cards. Again, Thiago, there was rumours off and on for months before that progressed. And in all that time, he wasn't really linked with any other club in the world. It was it was well known he was available and available for a steal for a player of his ability. But yeah, it was just that we can play this, it the way we want to play it. He wants to come to us. We're going to do the deal on our terms, and there's nothing you can do about
1: it. I think I think we'd have signed him for free. I think he was one of those one on ones. We'd have just waited mm. till January, given him a contract. I think. And then said by to Bayern, "We'll
0: give you we'll give you 10 million, or you could you lose him for free." I think that's yeah, exactly think, what we would have done, Stephen.
1: And I think they backed them into. I think Thiago played his part as well. They, they were backed into a corner. They finally caved in because every single day the Thiago update was he's available for X amount of money, and it was the same amount of money every single bleeding day. Because we're now in a position where we are world and recent European and current Premier League champions. The players want to play for for Klopp, and I think they also probably want to come and play for like clubs evolving and so is his coaching staff Pep Linders seems to be massively massively mm. rated now for, you know from all the football fans you know the, the nature of the job I do everyone's a football fan and they all talk about different aspects of Liverpool some of them talk about some of other coaching stuff like Pep and I think we've got people that players want to go and as you said learn from Thiago's coming towards the end of his career this is his this is his last big move maybe he's looked at the players that we have and the way we play football and the coaching staff and the facilities and gone I need to go and get I need to go and do the last adaptation of my role. If I go there with my skill set, they're gonna turn me into the player that will get me six or seven or eight years out of me rather than two or three years if I stay here and carry on doing what I'm doing. You know, I think and as well as players like Jota who are going, I need to go to pick a bigger club. He may have had a clause that says he can talk to Champions League teams, who knows? And he's he's looked at that front three and gone, I think I can go in and compete and be patient and make a difference and he's the kind of goals he's scoring really excite me because as soon as I heard we were rumored, I think I tweeted someone—must have been someone like Sam Maguire—and I was like, "He's going to score back, like, like back
0: post headers." And what's he been doing? Yeah, I mean, I think we have obviously got this brilliant like recruitment team with, with with Edwards, with Fallows, with Hunter, but Klopp is obviously the most important part of it, and one of the great strengths of Jurgen Klopp is that he's just—he's an incredible salesman. Like, he sells the project to the players and makes them believe that this is the only place for them to come and play. Like Mark mentioned, Thiago was available. Everybody knew he was available. So, why weren't other clubs in for him? Like, how often does a world-class top 15 player in the world become available in their peak and nobody else is in for him? Like, United made a phone call and were promptly told to go away. With Virgil, like, Chelsea had just won the league. Conte's widely regarded as one of the best managers in the world. You had Guardiola at City. Both of them wanted him. No. Turned both of them down to come, to come and play for Klopp. Arsenal and United couldn't even get a meeting with him. Like, Arsenal United, no matter how, how you break it down, they're two of the biggest clubs in England. And they couldn't even get a meeting with Van Dyke. His agent wouldn't even speak to them. Because Klopp had sold him on, this is what we're doing. This is how we're building. This will be your role. And not just, this is your role when you walk in the door. This is how we see your role over the next five, six, seven, eight years. And it's the same with the players already at the club. You look at Mo and Mane. You know they've had interest from... PSG from Real Madrid from Barca etc etc all clubs that would probably be willing to pay them more money than they earn for us They'd have a a greater global profile if they played for Real or Barca They'd probably make more in in commercial deals etc etc But Klopp continues to sell them on the project look at James Milner like James Milner from a pride point of view is almost certainly not delighted with, you know, the fact that he played a year at left back, uh, the fact that he's now just a squad player. I would imagine James Miller wants to play every single week because he's a very proud man and he's, you know, he's proven himself over what what are we now? 18 years into his Premier League career, he probably could have gone to a number of other clubs lower down the table, but a number of other clubs and started every game. But Klopp sold him on. Look, stay another couple of years add to your medals, we're going to do this, this and this for you. And at that point, you're still going to have your offers. You're still going to be able to go elsewhere. The same with you know, Andy Robertson arrives. It takes him six months to get into the team. But again, Klopp is selling him on. It's not about today. It's about a year from now, two years from now. Same with Fabinho, same with Ox. I mean, Ox turned down more money to stay at Arsenal. He turned down more money to go to Chelsea. He would have been a guaranteed starter at Arsenal. He was only squad player coming to Liverpool. But again, Klopp sold him on that. And continues to sell him on it. And you you look at all our players and you can tell every one of them wants to be at the club. Shaq in the summer, you, you think Shaq didn't have offers? Like look how little he played last year. But Klopp sold him on, we need you, you're going to have a role, this is what it's going to be. If you do well I'll reward you when Klopp when when Shaq did well in the past Klopp changed the system for him changed the 4231 to get him in the team because his form deserved that and he was rewarded and that's how Klopp manages everything so well he is a brilliant salesman he's not and How good is how good is it to see the power keep back Dave Oh it is it's brilliant to see him back because people often overlook what a talented footballer he is like last year we all lamented the fact that we had a front three and then we had Divock. And Divock was wondered how long it would take
2: before the, the good old Divy got a mention. <laughs>
0: yeah. Look, he'll always have he'll always have a place in in you know Liverpool history because of the goal against Everton, the run of form obviously the Champions League it is just iconic. The two goals against Barça, the goal in the final, it couldn't have happened to a nicer fella, but the bottom line is he's he just not good enough to play for Liverpool Football Club where we are now. When we signed him and where we were then, absolutely fine. Where we are now, nowhere close to the level. But, you know, we forgot that we, we had Shaq. Yes, he was injured, but we did have him. We brought in Minamino. Then we bring in Jota. And all of a sudden you go from having just Divok to now Divok is your seventh attacker. And you've got Jota who's come in, done brilliantly. Shaq, we know, is a, is, is a super talented player who's proven himself to be a high-caliber player in the, in the Premier League. And we have Minamino, who, yeah, he hasn't got his chances yet. But again, Klopp has sold him on this. This is a long-term process. You signed a five-year deal. You didn't sign to play week one. And we're not signing you to play week one. We're looking at you in years two and three as then with a four-and-a-half-year deal, I should say. But then that's where you're going to make your real impact. We're going to develop you. And again, Minamino might never become a starter, but he'll be an important squad player for us. And he's clearly very happy to be at the club. There's no pouting, there's no tantrums, there's no you know discontent. Every one of our lads wants to be at the club. Every one of our lads could be elsewhere. Pretty much every player in our squad could be elsewhere. Either playing a bigger role or earning more money. And yet every one of them wants to be at Liverpool, playing for Klopp. And how nice is it to continually go towards transfer windows and not have that. Like when we had Suarez and Coutinho and Sterling and every window there was, oh, well, Suarez wants to go to Barcelona and Barcelona are interested and Coutinho has always dreamed of of Barcelona and they're going to pay whatever amount of money and Sterling won't sign this contract and blah, blah, blah. We don't have any of that anxiety about this squad now. We know, like, unless we want to sell somebody, no one's leaving. Unless we make a decision to sell them, no one's leaving. Like, even the likes of Harry Wilson and Grujic, who've played no part at Liverpool, they weren't pushing for moves last summer. They weren't forcing their way out the door, because in the back of their head, they're still thinking, maybe there's just an outside chance of getting into this group, playing for Klopp, playing with this team we're such a different beast than we were the day before he arrived.
2: And I think the key thing you've said there as well is that they could be getting more money elsewhere. So it's not like they're just mercenaries and just hanging around because they're happily sat on the bench earning Mm. big money. That's not the case at all. Like you think back to good old Celestine Babayaro at Chelsea, he'd sat there for five, six years earning a fortune and never played, I don't think. But these players want to be there because because of Klopp, because of the success we've had and because they can see the future's bright there. As you said, none of them are on big bucks, no. huge bucks compared to what the average Joe earns. But in terms of what other football players earn, you look at what salaries Chelsea are playing, City are paying, Man United are playing, and then the the big boys in Europe. We're, we're way, way, way below what they well, play and consider- they're all incentivised as well with us. Consider this.
0: Last season, Alexis Sanchez was on loan from United to Inter Milan. And United were paying him more of his wages to to play for somebody else than we were paying anybody in our squad. They were almost paying him as much as we pay Salah and Mane combined. Now, the thing for us is we give that big carrot. So their, their base wage is... I think the top earners at Liverpool are on about 180 grand a week. That'd be Salah, Mane, I think Bobby, probably Thiago now, and Virgil. But there's incentives. There's massive incentives that they can earn. So if we win stuff, it could be like a million quid as a bonus. If you know, if we win games or they hit x amount of goals, x amount of assists. There's all these carrots for them all along the way. It it just gives them that extra incentive. It keeps them. Wanting to improve, wanting to get better. And I do think we're also really, really good at judging the character of a player. I think that's one, one area we do stand out among, you know, there's other clubs that are really good at recruitment. Byron, for example, are great at recruitment. But I think we go really in depth and we really look into not just who they are as players, but who are they as people? Like, how are they going to fit the dynamic? We know there's a no dickhead policy and I think we look at players that have proven themselves to be mentally strong, even in in bad teams. So they don't have to be proven winners. Andy Robertson wasn't a proven winner. But if you look at, say, the last couple of games of that whole season when they're gone, they've been atrocious all season, they're conceding goals left, right and centre. Andy Robertson is still giving every single bit that he can right up to the last minute of the last game in the season. He's still bollocking other people when they make a mistake. He's still trying to to be a winner, and I think that counts for Klopp. I think that's the type of thing Klopp looks at and think, right, I can tap into that.
1: There's also been a sea change, though, hasn't there, since we lost the um, Europa League final? If you look at the players we've targeted since then, we've, as well as bringing in what we've what Liverpool have done for a long, long time, of bringing in the young talent and developing them. We've also identified players that are either world-class or on the cusp of being world-class. Because after we lost, we went out, and you know over those two cup finals that we lost, and over the last two or three years, we've gone and brought in Van Dijk, who lots of people thought was a fantastic player, but no one thought he was one of the top centre-halves in the world. And Within six months of being in Liverpool, he proved he was.
0: Well, you say nobody. You say nobody.
1: Okay, you, Dave. But, <laughs> but again, like Fabinho, you know, people were like, is he a is he a defensive midfielder? Is mm. he a right-back? And then, again, within the end of his first full season, because you can write off the first half of the season, he proves he's one of the best in the world. Yeah, Robbo took a bit longer, but I think Robbo, as a player who's a bit like Jota and some of other signings, and I put, put Becker into this as well, is it was... They just needed the opportunity to play with the calibre of player and coach to show how quickly they could become one of the best in the world. And then I think and then that leads into, you know, Becker, I know you want to talk about Tim you Signing Alisson, we've gone and bought a goalkeeper who everyone thought was pretty damn good and was definitely an upgrade in what we had. I don't think anyone truly knew that he was going to become one of the best three goalkeepers in the world as quickly as he has done. And I think that's where... The clock factor, the getting to cup finals and then winning cup finals and winning the league is now meaning that we can bring in those players and I think that I think looking at recent form, I think we can we know Virgil is phenomenal, best player in the world in his position. But I kind of think that maybe Allison's more important because like how much differently we play with him in the back.
0: Yeah. You? Yeah, no, definitely. Um the thing with with Allison is obviously he had that really good season with Roma and there was still some doubts on him because the year before he'd been sat on the bench behind Shoshesny, who I know he's at Juve now, and I know he's a better goalkeeper than he was at Arsenal. But it's not like he's a top class goalkeeper, he's not an elite keeper. So there was doubts over Allison, but when when we started to look at him, I was like, right, I I I need to go and properly look at this guy and see. What is he actually all about? Like what what kind of goalkeeper are we actually looking at buying here? And the more I watched him, the more I became impressed. And it wasn't it's not just the shot stopping, it's not just the ability with his feet, it's it's the calming presence on his defense. It's how comfortable they all are when they get pressed, knowing that they can just turn around and give the ball to him. It's knowing that not only is he available for the pass he will make himself available. He will move his position to create an easier angle for them to put the ball back to him where they're not having to play it into a dangerous area. Like You watch him roll out into basically the right-back the right, the right back channel to make himself available for a pass from Trent or the left-back channel to make himself available for a pass from Robbo. You watch him organise his defence. You see how dominant he can be. He judges everything really well. What I love about him is he knows what he needs to do in every single aspect. So on each different cross, he's already made the decision. Right, I'm catching this one. I'm punching this one. I'm not coming for this one because I know it's. I'm not going to get to it or my path is blocked. He doesn't make daft errors. He's made a couple of errors, obviously, over his time at Liverpool. They've largely been, you know, misplaced passes or trying to be silly against Leicester in an early game. But I remember tweeting. I think this guy is Manuel Naur when Bayern bought him. Not Manuel Naur, the the best keeper in the world as he became, but the guy that Bayern bought from Schalke. That all-round potential where if he develops, he's going to be great. Now, he may not get to, like we say, top three in the world, but if he develops, he, he can be by far the best goalkeeper we've had in a long time. I didn't see it coming as quickly. I certainly didn't think that year one we'd already be looking at him going, well, it's him and Oblak. And that's kind of it. Like, Ter Stegen's in there as well, but it is him and Oblak as the top two. Um, his development's been incredible. But one of the things we've been really smart about with Alisson is we've also we've managed his workload really well. So we've obviously brought in backup goalkeepers and young keepers to play in the Cup. So we don't overuse him there. We manage his training schedule really well. There was a good interview with Andy Lonergan. Um, I think it was during lockdown last season where he was talking about his role at the club and like what what it is that he does. And one of the reasons Lonergan was actually signed was so that Alisson didn't have to work as hard in training. So we do these insane shooting drills and all types of things. And Alisson... Just with his body type and with some of the injuries that he's had, he, he can't do them every day. So one of the reasons Klopp likes to have as many goalkeepers around as he does, and we've got, you know, Adrian, we had Kelleher last year, plus Lonergan, plus the 23s keepers, is to manage the workload on Alisson so that he's not being overtrained, so that he goes into games fresh. And, like, that type of thing, just that little thing of, like, We don't want to overtrain this guy. Let's just go and buy or sign someone who's never going to play a game. We're going to pay him whatever he was on, 10, 15, 20 grand a week. So yeah, it's a million quid, but that million quid we will earn back multiple times over by what Alisson, being fresh, will gain us in a competitive game. That, to me, shows the margins that Liverpool work in that really do make the big differences.
2: For me, I think this season has proved he is our most important player. I think on level, on ability, Van Dijk is clearly one of, if not the best centre-back in the world, and anybody coming in is weak. But I think the squad, the the system, if you like, as a whole the impact of him missing hasn't been as great as the few games Alisson missed. The whole team, as you say, it's not just the shot stopping. It's the, the confidence he gives the back four to play the higher line. It's his distribution. It's the whole package.
0: And the drop-off from him to Adrian is well, the, massive. That is the massive. other thing. Like the, the drop-off from him to Adrian is is startling. The drop-off from Virgil to Matip or fabinho isn't as dramatic like matip is still a good center back adrian is i mean he's a league average goalkeeper that's just what he is he's a league average goalkeeper um and yeah as you
2: say on a ability basis mm. van dyke to any other center back is big van dyke is that good but i think uh when you've got a Matip and Fabinho or a Fabinho and Williams or whoever, the combination is still good. Whereas when you go from Allison to Adrian, it's certainly noticeable. And again, with all the players we've missed this season, Mo's been out for games, Mane's missed games, Robertson's missed games, Trent's missed games, Van Dijk's missed games, Henderson's missed games, it hasn't really been as noticeable as when Alisson was Ali's out. out. And yeah, it was no. when Alisson was out when we lost that 7-2 to Villa. Yeah. And I'm not what? saying if he was playing, it wouldn't have happened. But
0: but it, but it, well, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't have happened. happened. Like, we wouldn't, wouldn't have lost 7-2. 7-2. No, no, there's no not way. At
2: all. So I, th- I think, based on that, he might not be the best, if you like, but I think his impact on the team is the biggest.
0: His impact was, definitely. was like, the improvement from when we signed Virgil to what we became... And what we signed Ali to what we became like they are neck they're right there. They're they're neck and neck improvements. And you mentioned Fabinho, like he's another one. He obviously signed the same summer as Ali, but didn't come into the team for like six months really as a starter. And then we took another leap forward. So we got this big jump from Virgil, big jump from Ali, big jump from Fab. And those three combined, what that did was number one, it allowed us to play the higher line. And number two, it allowed us to press at a level that we hadn't been able to reach before. Because we finally had the platform. Ali allowed us to play that higher line. And then Virgil and Fabinho gave us that platform for the rest to press off. Where we could be a little bit reckless. In the knowledge that, right, you might get by Jordan Henderson and Ginny Wijnaldum. But you're not going to get by Fabinho. And if you do, God bless you. You've got Virgil van Dijk stood right behind him. And key to it as well was just Gomez with that recovery pace been able to sweep in behind. But those three really did make us take an enormous leap. Like We went from being a decent team pre-Virgil to the best team in the world once the three pieces were in place. And you mentioned with Fab, like the question marks of is he a holding midfielder, is he a right-back? Well it turns out Klopp was playing four D chess and he's actually the second best centre back in the Premier League is what he actually is. But um I mean we just don't miss on transfers. We just you can look at every transfer under Klopp and Edwards. There's not a flop there. Like there's a couple that are passive, like Carrius. Not a flop because he got us to a Champions League final. Yes, he cocked up monumentally in the Champions League final, but he got us there. He played a big role. Clavan was signed to be a fourth centre-back and he was a fine fourth centre-back um
2: and he's got that goal away at burnley well, too that's so, exactly to it you know? the
0: Lovren with the greatest assist i think i've ever seen um and like even nabby like people say oh nabby's the f- nabby's not a flop nabby has had injuries but when nabby plays and gets a couple of games under his belt nabby is brilliant like Nabby is phenomenal. We played Leicester last week. Nabby was the best player on the pitch. He hadn't played for us in five weeks. He was the best, sorry, six weeks. He was the best player on the pitch until he got hurt. So Nabby's not a flop. Nabby, from a playing point of view, has been a success. He just hasn't played enough. But that's not just down to his injuries. It's also down to the fact that Jordan Henderson has taken a step forward. Ginny Aldum, another brilliant signing. Another not first choice target that we pivoted to really quickly when the Zielinski and Dahood De deals fell through. We pivoted to Ginny and we had him signed quick as you like. That was done in a day. But Ginny's always fit. He's never hurt. He's always a solid 7 out of 10. Capable of more. He's another one that passed all the boxes. Like versatile player. Never gets hurt. Great attitude. Leadership. A beloved teammate. Selfless player. Ginny came to us as an attacking midfielder and completely curbed that side of his game for the good of the team. Like that's remarkable what he's the transformation of him. James Milner, we know we can call upon him. We have Ox. We've got this young kid in Curtis Jones coming through. So Nabi's injuries, despite how frequent they've been. It's it's not like a thing that he would have played a massive amount more games than he already has. He played, he played 60 games over the first two seasons. Injuries aside, he probably would have played 70. So, like, it's not a massive thing. It's just that people get wound up, but we, we've got so many options that he's not going to play every game anyway.
1: We've got such unforgiving fans, though, Dave. I mean, I feel sorry for Mavi, because... He doesn't play because he's got an injury. He gets called up to international football, goes to a tournament he shouldn't even be at, plays far too many minutes, comes back and gets injured. He picks up, regularly picks up, knocks for us, then goes and plays international football. And he's just done it again. Played two games of, what, 95 minutes, having not played for five weeks, and gets another muscle injury. I kind of, I feel sorry for him because he's one of the best players for his international team. Mm. He gets forced to make a decision that he can't say no to, which is affecting his club career. I feel really sorry for Carrius because what ruined his career for Liverpool was being concussed by yeah. Ramos because those goals don't happen unless he gets it in the head. I'm not saying we win that game. But I don't think what happens to Carrius happens if he doesn't have concussion. And it came out that he did. I'm also not offended by Adrian. I know he had a stinker. Sometimes goalkeepers have stinkers. Yeah.
0: People love Pepe Rader and he has stinkers. But they forget how, how valuable he was to us last season when Allison got hurt. Yeah, we didn't lose the game. Exactly. The we won he he's he played a big part in winning the, the European Super Cup. He was solid in the league. Like we signed him on a free to be the backup goalkeeper. And he it's has st- been fine. Yeah, he's had some stinkers. Yeah, I mean, he's stylistically he
1: fits. Exactly.
0: Right? And that's a big part of it, like physically he fits stylistically he's decent he's he's never played in a team like we like we play so there was a massive adjustment for him and yeah he's got limitations but like there's there's no the problem for us is that the guys that we would want who are good enough to play for liverpool aren't, go, aren't going to come and just be a backup to alisson becker for three four five years you might get them to come in and be a backup for a year but then they're going to look at the situation and go well like that guy's one of the best keepers in the world i'm not getting in the team i want to go play somewhere like we were interested in that that turkish keeper um plays for Trabzonspor. and his name's going out of my head that was a deal we were looking to get done he backed out of it because he obviously looked at adrian and went or at allison and went like I'm just going to sit on the bench, I'll play the cups, I'll get a couple of games here and there i I'm first choice for my for my nation, so I want to stay in my national team and that that therein lies the problem like these guys don't just have to think about their club career they've got to think about their national career as well, especially goalkeepers where it's one spot it's different for a midfielder or an attacker where there's three or four spots available and maybe you can fit in, in multiple positions for a goalkeeper, you're one of one. And if you're not getting games at club level, you're going to lose your national team spot. Look at what happened to Romero at United. He was Argentina's number one, goes to United, sits on the bench, no longer even in the squad. Not even getting in the squad for Argentina.
2: Yeah. And yeah it's, it's the, sorry, Steve. It's it's the hardest position on the field, really, isn't it? Because it's it's not one that you change in game. Like You've got your your front three and you've got your fourth striker that you can bring on at 60 70. Your goalkeeper, you're just not going to change them ever, really, are you, unless there's injuries? And as you say, the way we approach the domestic cups, it's one or two games, really, isn't it? If, if we get up against a, a big team, if you like, we're pretty much going out because we're going to stick with a youth team. So it is hard to find somebody that's going to be good enough to come and sit and play second fiddle that is just going to get such limited opportunities
1: I think we said this earlier. I think what the club now does, and I think Klopp's probably as big, if not a bigger part of this than Edwards is, we identify players with a certain attitude and personality. I don't tend to follow footballers on Twitter and Instagram. I kind of like, I'm not interested in their personal lives, but I do follow Adrian because there's something about his attitude. There's something about when he screws up, he always puts up a tweet to put up his hand and says... I got it wrong. Let's go again. It's all about the team. And when we smash people 10-0, he says, it's all about the team. He just I think he's probably one of those milner type people who, in that changing room, knows where they are now. He, know, he knows that Allison's our most important player yeah. and one of the best keepers in the world. And he also knows that Allison does get targeted and will get knocks and he will get cut games. And he knows that his job in the changing him is to try and play a similar type of game within his own constraints to be that you know he's a grown-up he's in his 30s it's be sensible of what you say and how you talk and i'm sure the younger goalkeepers and any of the younger players enjoy having him around and i just i think we need more of those calming voices and again like being in players in like tiago at his age not only is he world class but he's won everything
0: yeah
1: and he is going into the into the change room as a senior figure, and it's I think it's important for clubs to have those senior, calm, grown up people who are one of the best players in the world and the first name on the team sheet, but also people who understand their role, it's there to back up and support. I am sure he's giving just as much to the kids in training who are when they get the opportunity to be the first team as he's giving when he's on the pitch. So, I don't, so I, I, I do feel that Liverpool fans give him a bit of.
0: Un, to stick definitely you guys mentioned like we do have a very unforgiving fan base which is weird considering how how long many of them were willing to accept mediocrity for but i i spoke to uh to somebody who worked at west ham while adrian was there just after we signed him just to get like a bit of an idea of what he was like and they said look he's a good goalkeeper not a great goalkeeper he's got limitations like everybody that plays at, at a club like West Ham, there's a reason they're at West Ham and not at a, at a top six club. But they said his attitude is, is unbelievable, like off the charts in terms of being a teammate, bringing a positive vibe every single day. Even when he lost his spot to Fabianski, who, you know, you can debate whether he's a better goalkeeper. Fabianski's probably a little bit of a better shot stopper. Adrian's got a better all round game. But they said he never. Never pouted, never threw the toys, never moaned, anything like that. Always positive, was willing to accept that this was the number one goalkeeper now and his job was to support that guy in training. Every time Fabianski made a mistake, the first guy over to him to boost his confidence was Adrian. They said he was brilliant with working with the young goalkeepers, would often stay after training and give tips to the young goalkeepers. If the Fords wanted to do extra shooting practice, he was the one that would stay with them and, and go through all of that. They said his attitude is unbelievably strong. You will love him as a person. And I agree with you. I love seeing him. Like He does leave himself open to abuse because that's what people will do on social media. Because Twitter is a cesspool of infantile children. But it's good to see players come out and say, you know what? Yeah, we, we we're awful today. And I take my share of that blame. I had a sinker. We'll do better next time. And when we win, it's all about the team. It's not about me. You mentioned Thiago, and like it would be very easy for Thiago to walk into the dressing room at Liverpool, Billy Big Bollocks, you know, slap his medals on the table and go, "Oh, you've got one league title. Oh, that's cute. Look, I've got ten. Oh, you've got a Champions League medal. I've got two of these. Domestic the cups? Anybody? No? No, I've got loads of them as well." Like, he is the most accomplished player at the club. He, he's the most accomplished player we've ever signed. Like, we've never signed anyone with his CV who's the player he is. Top 15 in the world, top 5 midfielder, best midfielder in the Bundesliga for the last five years. You know, pure world-class, undeniable, would walk into any team in the world. But yet, he comes to Liverpool in the knowledge that you're coming to play a role. Like, you... You're not going to start every single game because that's not how we work. Like the captain doesn't start anywhere near as many games as people think he does. He doesn't play the amount of minutes people assume he does. In part because of injuries but also in part because of rotation. Of Klopp wanting to make sure everybody gets their share of game time. There's no airs and graces at Liverpool. Nobody gets anything for free. Yes, there's certain times Klopp plays favourites with certain players when they're in bad form. But that's in part why he's such a good salesman. Because he he can look at a player and go, right, you haven't been good for six months. But for the two or three years previous to that, like look at Bobby. Bobby was great for Klopp for three years. He's been poor for 12 months. But Klopp sticks with him. And that type of loyalty... That's something that other players will notice. Players in the group, players who are close to players at Liverpool. Like, you think if a Dutch player speaks to Virgil about Klopp, he's not getting a glowing reference. Same with any, you know, Senegalese players or Brazilian players. They're all getting glowing references about Klopp from our players because of how he manages them all individually and collectively. And. That's what makes us such an appealing club for all players to want to come and play for. Like we said, Thiago made it very clear to Bayern Munich. Yeah, we've won the Champions League. Yeah, I'm happy here. I've won it all. We're, you know, you're the Champions League winner. You're probably the best team in the world at that moment in time. But you know what? I want to go play for Liverpool. I want to go play for him. And don't bother trying to sell me anywhere else. Don't bother with any more contract offers. I'm leaving. That's where I'm going. And it's now up to you whether you get twenty million from me now, ten million in January, or nothing next summer. I'll stay and I'll play, but I'm leaving next summer and you're losing me for free. So it's up to you what you do. They're going to wait for me one way or another, and that's how that's how we become the club we are.
1: It's great, isn't it?
0: It's
2: a phenomenal position to be in. And just jumping back for Adrian. I think people forget he played in the Super Cup final against Chelsea and saved the penalty that won it for us. And Alisson missed a lot of league games last year. Adrian played a lot of league games. So it's not, I don't want to do the guy a disservice that he's just happy to be at a club like Liverpool because his level has always been a tier or two, if not two tiers below where Liverpool are now. So he's going to work hard and grasp that opportunity. But he has, again, played a key role in our success. He played... 10 league games last year, I think, played in the super final at the one, so he has contributed to that success as well. And yes, the Atletico Madrid game sticks in people's minds, but he up. had a shocker against Aston Villa this year.
0: But Virgil had a shocker that game as well. Yeah, you you know the thing, he's not, he's not the only one, like, if he's, he's not the reason we lost to Atletico Madrid. There's a whole bunch of players had stinkers in both legs. Absolutely. And as
2: you say, it's, he just seems to be a scapegoat almost because he's clearly not as good as Alisson. But as you've said, there's not many in the world that are. And it is a big drop off. But at the same time, 90 percent of the time when we've called upon him, he has done a job for us yeah. and he hasn't let us down. And as you say, he, he comes across as a really nice guy. He's not doing it deliberately. Can carry us the same. Yes, it's, it's always going to stick in people's mind now the Champions League final. But again, straight after that, he was holding his hands up. He took the full responsibility for it. He didn't shy away for it. And they are human, these players. Mistakes happen. Accidents happen. And they're not going to be perfect every game.
0: Do you remember when we had Torres and we could never get a good enough backup for Torres? That's kind of what it's like with Alisson now, where the strikers who are good enough to play for us, are not they're too good to come and be... Backups in the same way that the goalkeepers that are good enough to play for us and and maintain a certain level so there's not a massive drop off from ali they're too good to come and be backups it's just it's that simple, but Adrian played eighteen games last season eleven in the Premier League um I think he it was a sub appearance against Brighton wasn't it when Ali got sent off. And then the, the game where he came on for Ali when Ali got injured. Um, he played three in the, the FA Cup, three in Europe, and he played the, the League Cup thing, or the, the Super Cup thing. So, 18 games. And there is only a couple that stand out as, you know, poor. This season he's played five. It's just that Villa game that stank. But everybody yes. stank. Mo and Robbo were the only players that could walk out of that game. And say, I played well. Everybody else was awful. Everybody else. And the same against Atletico. There was a couple of players, like Ginny Wijnaldum stepped up big time that night. Goal and assist. Bobby played well. But like, Manny didn't play well. Nobody mentioned him. Trent didn't play well. Nobody mentioned him. Henderson stank the place. Nobody, Nobody mentioned him. Virgil didn't have a good night. Nobody mentioned him. It was all... Oh, he made a mistake, so it's his fault. No, it, like, look at the other goals. Like, we can see the three goals in that night, only one of them was his fault. Look at the other ones, and look who's to blame. And nobody mentions them, because it's it's easier to beat up the backup goalkeeper, because you're not really going to get a whole lot of pushback. Like, if you go on Twitter after a game and say, Virgil van Dijk was crap today, you're going to get torrents of abuse, even if it's true you're going to get massive amounts of abuse. If you go on and say, Jordan Henderson was crap today, even if it's true, you're going to get massive amounts of abuse. If you go on and say, Adrian was crap, even if he played well and you say he was crap, nobody's really going to argue with you. They're just going to go, yeah, but that's just him, isn't it? That's just what his level is. He's just not good enough. And then they launch into a tirade of abuse about how he cost us the game against Villa, how he cost us this game and that game and whatever else. And like, it's It's just because he is... Of this, of our squad, him and him and Divock, and I would say Nico are the easy punching bags because they're clearly a level below everybody else. Like Reese and and, and Nat Phillips haven't played enough to really be considered all that much. so They still get away with it, but like I mean, Nico's played what ten, eight, nine, ten games, and he, he's already a punching bag. Um. Give talking over
1: uh, and the trip. Sorry, talk, Steve. Go on. Sorry, talking and not being good enough, gents. Uh, I'm going to have to do an Adam Alana and sub myself off at 60 minutes. Because, no uh,
0: problem at all. The hamstrings <laughs> are is... gone. The hamstrings are gone.
1: The hamstrings gone. No and phone... worries. And the phone's ringing, so uh, I'll catch That's you guys fine. later. No worries. But it's... Cheers for joining us, Steve. Thank you. Pleasure,
0: Steve. Been, Take care. It's
1: been it's been great chatting. Speak to you guys in a bit.
0: But
2: the other thing, Dave, just to reiterate what you were saying, then the trouble with with those players is they just don't get the minutes really. Yeah. So they are always coming in from the cold, and I think even if it's never going to happen in a million years, we signed Ter Stegen as a backup to Allison. If he just came in off a cold and played a League Cup game, he wouldn't be the Ter Stegen that no, he is that now, that now because exactly they is. haven't got they haven't got match fitness, and it's again certain players seem to get away with that and get given the the excuse if you like that he's and others just don't I mean clock plays everybody can see the stats near enough the same eleven week in week out for two years. Mm. The front three are always the front three. Last year it was predominantly Aldom, Henderson and Fabinho in midfield if they were fit and the back four it was either Gomez or Matty
0: And the full back's the, fullbacks the same in Virgil's that's exactly the exact thing.
2: Week. Like So when anybody comes in, it's difficult for them, one, to get a routine or a rhythm because everybody else has played so many minutes together. And two, they are coming in from the cold to play. And it's hard to get up to speed. And it's almost like, well, you've missed your chance. And it's back to the tried and tested the next game.
0: That's the thing. I mean, look, we've seen players in our team play really badly for long stretches, then get left out for a game and someone else comes in. And because they're coming in cold, they don't have a good game because they're going to need that second and third game to get up to match sharpness. So when they don't play well, everybody's like, "Oh, well, what's he doing in the team? Get get such and such back in." Like, we're and that's where the myth of, you know, we're better when player X plays. Like, the the record when he starts is this, and when he doesn't is this. It's a horseshit narrative based around a player coming in cold, having not played, and the system malfunctioning. Not that individual being problematic. Our team is built on a very specific system. We, it works like a machine. And if you take any machine in the world and take out a piece and put in a new piece, it's going to take some time for the machine to work as smoothly as it did before. But if you take anybody out and give someone a run, not, not anybody, but like, let's say, for example, if we signed, let's just say we signed Mbappe, just as an example, right, to be ludicrous. If you put, if you play, kept playing our team the way they are, and then all of a sudden you were like, right, we're going to take Mo out for a game, and we're going to put Mbappe in, the team wouldn't be as good. Even though Mbappe and Mo are very you know, comparable in terms of level, the team wouldn't play as well because it's a new piece and everybody would have to try and figure out well, what's his strengths and weaknesses, what do we need to do to adapt to what he offers and what he doesn't offer. And we might dip a game and then you put Mo back in and it just becomes more automatic and everything is easier and you look like a much better team. That doesn't mean Mo is better than Mbappe, it just means that the system is set up that there's a, an 11, a group of 11 players that have played so much together have such a strong understanding that it they, they just works better when that 11 are on the team or on the field. If you made the change for a run of five games, yeah, games one and two might be bad or, or not as good, but games three, four and five... Could be a whole different level to what you had before. You couldn't get even better, but you get, people get tied to this idea of, well, our record with this and this, it's such nonsense. You can't have players coming in cold and expect them to immediately perform at their best. You just can't do it. There's very few players that you can drop in in any situation and they'll just perform. Joel Matip is one that you can because Joel has been at the club for a long time, knows the system, has played a lot next to Virgil. So when you drop him in instead of, um, Joe Gomez, he's a similar level to Joe and he's used to everything. So it just fits kind of well. Plus his role is, is smaller. You know what I mean? Like he's not been asked to cover mass amounts of the pitch. His role is quite conservative in the team. Same with any of the centre-backs. The, the, the centre-back role at Liverpool is quite conservative. Even with the high line and defending the bigger space, you're not being asked to run a lot. Whereas in midfield, like if Ox comes in for Ginny, for example, you're going to notice a drop-off for the first couple of games because it takes Ox a bit of time to get up to speed to get his comfort zone. But if you give him three, four, five, six games in a row, yeah, he could, he could match Ginny's level. He might even make us a little bit better but people aren't willing to have that kind of patience. And in truth, we can't really afford that type of patience because we're always competing at such a high level. Well, that's it, isn't it? Especially in this this condensed
2: post- or still ongoing COVID season, the games are just coming so thick and fast. But it's like Wednesday's Atalanta game, there were so many changes. Even then, when Simicas gets his game at left-back, it was never going to work for him, really, with... With that much change going on around him as well, whereas if you'd have just made that one change and Robbo out him in, at least he could have bedded in a bit more completely, yeah, and I, everybody I, else around him would have known their role. But he came in with a different centre back pair and a different midfield lineup and a different forward lineup. So and most he, importantly, he was a different right full back on the
0: other side as well. And I think, I think for Simicis, he's going to find it so much easier when he plays with Trent, and Nico finds it so much easier when he plays with Robbo, because you're not been asked to do as much like when Robbo and Nico play Robbo can take on the lion's share of the, the creative work from fullback the same when it, when we, when we eventually see Trent and Costas, Trent will do the majority and Costas can play in a, a more limited role that can then be expanded as he gets more comfortable. I'm glad you brought this up because it's, it's been bothering me for a couple of days. So, I thought Nico played fine against Atalanta, I thought he did alright, wasn't great, wasn't bad, just alright. I thought Symmachus did alright, wasn't great, wasn't bad. An article came out in The Athletic uh, yesterday, I think, uh, by James Pearce. And because it's the, it's the Athletic and because it's online, there's always going to be a little element of clickbait about the, the, the title of the article. Now bear in mind, James Pearce does not title his own articles. They have editors, editors and sub editors who do that for him. So James puts puts his article out and tweets about it, and there's no real reaction the first time. Because he just mentions Divok and everybody's kinda of done with Divok at this point. But the second time he mentions Symmachus and says that maybe it's a bit of a wasted opportunity for Simicus. Now I don't have a, a massive issue with what James said there. I do think Simicus struggled a little bit. I think he had a tough enough night's work. Found the pace maybe a little bit tough to deal with, and without having any familiarity with anybody on the pitch and with everybody else still learning how to play to play with each other, like Reese and, and Joel, like like Joel and Nico on the other side, that midfield, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, every everybody was off. Nobody played well. But I thought both fullbacks exactly. did. Exactly. Okay. It, was,
2: it, was disju- it was a disjointed performance yeah. all around. But as like you say, with the number then, of changes we've made,
0: it, it's go- it was always going to happen. Exactly. And then you get this massive overreaction on social media. So, Paul L. James tweets this out. And yeah, again, it's a little bit of a clickbaity tweet, you know, like, you know, throwing in Simicus's name to maybe get people kind of reading it and seeing what's going on. And the reaction was just bananas. Like, You had people announcing that he was our best player. And like I say, he was just all right. He wasn't our best player. He wasn't close to our best player. They also then, you had loads of people saying, well, Nico was garbage, so where's the article about him? Well, first of all, he wasn't garbage. Like, he did all right. He kept a decent hold of Gossins. I know Gostens scored the goal, but that goal wasn't his fault. That goal was Reese Williams' fault. It wasn't Nico Williams' fault and you just had this massive deluge of abuse been hurled at James Pierce for disparaging Costa simicus and, and not addressing Nico Williams. But first of all, Nico Williams is 19 years of age and I know he's played six times for Wales but he's only played 17 games for Liverpool. He played 11 last season, he's played six this season. Yes, he hasn't been particularly good this season. But he's 19 years of age, lads. Let's settle down. Let's not expect every young player that comes through to be Trent or to be Curtis Jones. It's going to take him some time. Everybody was really excited when he came through last season. Everybody was delighted. Look, we've got a backup right back. That's right back. sort for 10 years, Trent and Nico, give him a new contract. This is great couple of bad games, oh you shit, get him out of the team, get him out of the club. And then, unfortunately, and look, I'm not defending him because I do think he's got history with this. But you get people accusing James Pearce of xenophobia purely on the basis of this article. Now I think he's done things in the past and had bias against certain players in the past that do hint at that. I'm not saying he is that, but I say they have hinted at that. The bigger issue is who he used to work for and the clear xenophobia that we've seen from The Echo. But James Pearce didn't do anything wrong last night. He merely wrote an article that was factually correct and then somebody put a clickbaity uh, title on it and James sent out a slightly clickbaity tweet. And people lost their shit. Absolutely lost their shit to disparage a 19 year old. And protect this other fella. Who none of them had heard of 6 months ago. Let's be clear. Nobody had heard of Costa Simikas 6 months ago. Unless you're an avid fan of Greek football. So. It, it's just so strange to me that. Like we just can't accept that. A couple of lads had a bad game. Fine. The whole team was shit. Those lads were okay. But everybody wants everybody at Liverpool to be like. An A plus player. To the point where certain players who clearly are A plus players get held up as if they are, and we see this massive groundswell of support for players that are, haven't haven't really been good. Like we see with Bobby now, you can't criticize Bobby, or you're getting pelters left and right. It's it. I think a lot of our fans just need to have a, a little relax about certain things, just a little small relax, give. Young players you're, like you're Nico a
2: chance. Head, uh, it's it's two things, isn't it? One, it's the quality of Trent and Robertson. They have laid, laid the bar that highly that anybody coming in. And as you say, they're coming in cold with very, very little experience of playing first team football. And it's an impatient thing. It's I think people forget it took Robertson six, seven months to break into the team and make that place his own. Trent had plenty of bad games when he first started breaking into the team, and still since. He's had the occasional poor game. For heaven Virgil's had a poor game. Mo has bad. But Trent, games. Trent was terrible does.
0: earlier this season. Exactly, like he was but awful. It's it's just
2: very weird, isn't it, that certain players just are given so much leeway and so much time and others aren't. And as you say, he doesn't come in and put a nine, ten out of ten performance, and that's it. It's get rid of him, he's crap, he's not good enough.
0: And that's the thing, because the bar is so high now at Liverpool. Like Trent the only right back in the world on Trent's level is Josh Kimmich, who mostly plays in midfield this year th- at the moment. So, like Trent is basically the best right back in the world. Robbo's very close to being the best left back. He's certainly the best left back in the Premier League. So, anybody coming in for them is going to be a drop off. Um, Robbo didn't have to deal with what Simic has had to deal with. He didn't have to deal with a new country, new language, um, new new culture around him. Didn't have to deal with COVID. Didn't have to deal with all the social distancing stuff that's going on at Liverpool and how the training sessions are slightly different than they normally would be in the gym sessions. Didn't have to deal with any of that. Robbo had an easier transition to Liverpool than than Costas has had. But the Nico thing just blows my mind. Like, he may never be good enough. That's absolutely fair to say. But nobody can say for right now that he's not good enough. Like, he's 19. And surely to God, he came through our academy. Surely everybody wants this kid to succeed. Surely everybody would love us to be able to save ten or fifteen million quid on a back right back by this kid developing. I I think Nico might need it. Might need a loan. Unfortunately for us, we we kind of backed ourselves into a corner by selling uh, Key Huyver. but I think that was key to getting the the Jota deal done. And maybe, and no, look, it's clear. Nico's not quite good enough right now. But like, he did all right. Leave the boy alone. This is not the first time. Like, we won the game 7-2 earlier this season. Against Lincoln. And people still took to social media to give him pelters of abuse. Leave the boy alone. Like, he's just a kid. Who's lived his dream. And maybe some of it is that people are a little bit jealous. Maybe that's what some of it is. This is just a normal lad who came through our academy. And has made his way into the first team. But like John Flanagan was shit. Utter shit. And people called him the Scouse Cafu. And got behind him as if he was the best thing they'd ever seen. Nico Williams is better than John Flanagan. I'm sorry he just is. And yet Nico's getting pelters of abuse and Flanagan was, was worshipped. It's, it's so, I don't know what it is about Nico that people don't like, but I really wish they'd just leave him alone. Let the boy develop.
2: It doesn't make any sense to me. And obviously being a Welshman, I've seen probably quite a lot of him playing for Wales and he scored a winning goal for Wales. And yes, he's not our first choice right back now, but every time he's been involved or come on, he's, he's done all right. And, She said he's 19. He's got a handful of appearances to his name. Give him time Mm. before you write him off, but abusing him and giving him so much shit on social media while he's still learning. That's not that's not going to help.
0: It's not on at all. We're going to
2: we are going to need him. Certainly we need him currently because Trent's injured. And as the season goes on, there's that many games coming that often to have somebody that can come in and give Trent. A game off and a rest is going to help us in the long term. If Trent has less minutes in his legs coming into the home straight, April, May time, that's going to benefit us massively. But we're not going to be able to do that if every time we rest somebody, somebody comes in in reserve and is hounded like that on social media. They're, they're humans. Mm. How's that going to make him feel when he goes in? He's then going to be playing nervously, aware of all this. Whereas if you get, get behind him and support him, it's, as you say, he's a 19-year-old human how How would you feel if you were spoken
0: to like that? You wouldn't do your job confidently? Of course you wouldn't no exactly like and that's the thing like he's a young kid, which means he uses social media more than maybe like a Jordan Henderson or or a James Milner or a Ginny or a Virgil will use their social media. They've probably got guys who do their social media for them a lot of the time, like I'm sure they do bits and pieces themselves, but like they'll have someone either at their agency or they'll have a PR firm, somebody will do a lot of their social media work for them. And they probably, when they want to send a tweet, they just send a tweet and that's it. I doubt they look at their mentions. Whereas he's a young kid, I guarantee you he looks at his. And I guarantee you he sees what you're saying to him. So, like I, I've always said, like I, I have no problem, if you want to go on Twitter and say, Nico Williams was bad tonight. Fine. Absolutely fine. That is your right. You have your Twitter account. You have absolutely the right to go on social media and say, Player X was bad tonight. No problem. But don't at them. If you at them, you're just a dickhead. You're just a dickhead. If you go on social media and at somebody, uh, at a player, especially a young player. Like, if I go on social media right now and at Cristiano Ronaldo and say, Mate, you're shit. Number one, it's not true. And number two, even if he does see it, on the small chance he might see it, he's just gonna laugh and go, Who the fuck is this asshole? Whereas Nico Williams is gonna take that on board and he's gonna think, oh god, that people are sending him shit. And it's gonna make him doubt himself because he hasn't yet established himself and he hasn't built up enough credibility to be able to laugh it off. it's just it's it, it frustrates the life out of me because I really want Nico to succeed. We should all want Nico to succeed. Again, he's a young lad. They come through our academy. Like, we lamented the lack of academy players for years. And now when we get them through, people want to disparage them. People wanted to slag off Trent. You, I've already seen a bunch of people this season say, oh, Curtis Jones not going to make it Liverpool. Because he had one or two bad games. Like, get a grip on yourselves. Get a grip on yourselves. It's terrible. And as you say, it's...
2: We live in a, an age where there's loads of fan media around and traditional print media, the broadcasters, etc. Saying somebody had a bad game is constructive and it can be constructive criticism. But making it personal and having an attack on somebody, which it was on Nico, as you say, it's just completely uncalled for. There's just no rhyme or reason to do it. You wouldn't dream of saying it to his face if you saw him in the street.
0: No, exactly. So why do it? It just doesn't make sense to me why people would go to the effort to do something like that. Exactly. Look, we've we've gone off topic here and, and we've made this quite a positive podcast. So I don't want to end on that negative. But I do just want people to just take a moment and remember he's 19. And like maybe the reason James Pearce didn't write an article slamming Nico Williams is because he realises he's 19. He's a kid. He's a pup. He's only just learning his way as a man, let alone as a professional footballer. We all remember what it's like to be 19. Now some of the kids giving him abuse haven't even hit 19 yet, so they don't know. But if you're a grown-ass man, you remember what it's like to be 19 and the uncertainty that you had about everything in your life. Nico's got all of that and he's trying to balance that with being a professional footballer for Liverpool Football Club. So just, just keep that in mind the next time you rush to your social media to demand that somebody slander him for a poor performance. Like, Costas can deal with it. Divock can deal with it. I doubt, I doubt Divock even knows Twitter exists. I Divock just lives on his own little planet. I doubt he even knows or cares what anybody says. But, like, Nico will know, he will hear it. If he doesn't see it, his friends or his family will see it. We, we, we did have an incident on AI years ago. Um, I think the story's probably been told. Uh, where somebody said something about Cameron Brannigan. Somebody wrote an article about Cameron Brannigan. Uh, somebody from AI wasn't me. Before anyone says anything, it uh, wasn't some somebody replied saying he shit. <laughs> some other guy replied arguing with him, and they went back and forth. With, with this contributor and this other person having an argument about how good Cameron Pranigan is. And it turned out that other person ha- was Cameron pranigan's dad. <laughs> so, you know, oh do we, we just don't want, you know, you don't want that. Like, you don't want to be calling someone shit and exing someone because he's not, he's not shit. Well, who are you? Well, I'm his dad. Well, nobody wants to have that, that discussion with Nico Williams' dad over how good his son is. So let's just leave the boy alone He, he He'll either be good enough or he won't. And nothing you say on social media will will change that fact.
2: Not at all. And as we've said numerous times, it's a compact season. There's games coming thick and fast. We're going to need all these boys to step up and play more than in a normal season they maybe would. So let's get behind them all. Let's cheer Liverpool on to win league number 20, champions league number seven. And celebrate however big or a little role they play in this. They're going to play a role. So just accept that they're going to play and cheer them on. And if you think they're shit, write it down in your little notepad, scrunch it up, put it in the bin and yeah, just leave him alone. That's
0: exactly it. That's, that's exactly the best way to do it. And like we, we have lots of reasons to be positive right now. We're joint top of the league. We're top of our Champions League group. Uh, Henderson's back in training. Thiago's close to a return. Trent is only a week or two away from returning. Ox is getting close to a return. Shaq is close to a return. Naby's not going to be out for too long. Like the only two long term injuries there are are Joe and Virgil. But come January, we can add to the squad so we can go and we can buy a centre back. And like we are, we're it, we're it, we're so lucky with this team to be where we are. To have the squad that we have. The manager that we have first and foremost. Because like you know we could only have dreamed of, of having a Klopp, as we all suffered through the era of the Hodge. Like think of that. Just Just take a moment in between having tantrums about the reserve right back. And remember that 10 years ago Roy Hodgson was the manager of our football club. We were a bottom half of the Premier League team. We had such luminaries as Paul Kincheski, uh, Christian Poulsen, David Gog, Milan Jovanovic, Danny Wilson. Luke, Luke Young had deemed us not worthy of signing for us. Luke Young. That's a grim, grim prospect. He turned That's us a really down. Grim prospect. Ten years later, we've got Jurgen Klopp. We've got the best, I would say the best goalkeeper in the world, or, or top two at least. We've got the best right back in the world. We've got the best centre back in the world. One of the three best left backs in the world. The best holding midfielder in the world in Fabinho. The best central midfielder in the world, arguably in Thiago. We've got one of the best front threes in the world. Certainly Mo and and, and Sadio are our top five or six attackers in the world. They're all world-class players. We have, I would say, seven world-class players at the club. Ali, Trent, Verge. I think Robbo's just a little bit below world-class. But if you're going to say he's world-class, I'm not going to argue with you one iota. Thiago's world class. Faba's world class. Nabi has world class potential if he can just get the injuries in his past. If Guinea would just stop calling him up and overplaying him, it would be great. And we have two world class attackers. And then we've got Jota. We've got Minamino. We've got Ox. We've got Henderson. I, I missed out. Uh, we've got Ginny, who's fucking brilliant. We've got Gomez, whatever first of Gomez we get back. We've got Joel Matip. Like we've just got such an unbelievable squad. And again, we have Jurgen Klopp. Ten years ago, we had Roy Hodgson. The difference between where we are now and where we were then, they're two different clubs living in two different worlds. We're one of the two best teams in the world. The only team with a debate over being better than us is Bayern Munich. And we th- we took one of their best players. So it's probably us. Um, so th- like, we're, we're, we're just, we're living through a, a, a genuinely golden age of Liverpool Football Club. Many people older than me, older than you, Mark, are saying this is the best Liverpool team they've ever seen. Or the team the last two years when everyone was fit. It's the best Liverpool team they've ever seen. Think, think about the teams we've had. Like Shankly's best team. Paisley's best team, Joe Fagan's team, that eighty eight team under Kenny. And those people who saw those teams are saying this is the best team they've seen. And people are worried about the back up right back.
2: Like come on. Oh, no. It like, makes, you makes you think give your head a wobble, mate, honestly. Do you know, like we have it's. so
0: much to be to be so grateful for with this club, so much to be positive about. There's literally no like the only negatives are the few injuries, but like Virgil's gonna be fine. Joe Gomez is the one that we all need to be concerned about because that injury is is particularly horrible. But like we've got great owners, we've got I think we've got um, among the best owners in in world football. We've got an incredible new training facility. We're getting another upgrade on the stadium at some point where they're gonna ex- expand the Annie Road end which people have been you know asking for for years and it won't it won't stop there they'll do more like there's literally no you, you can't look at liverpool in any aspect and say i wish that was better the only thing i'd like to see better is i'd like to see the 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 women's team um given more funding and you know having a more per- permanent home and a more permanent training setup that's the only thing, everything else is going. On. Our academy's producing players, like we've got a ton of quality young players coming through that academy by by all accounts, and we've got two of them in in Trent and, and Curtis Jones who look like they can be you know, Trent already is an established first teamer, but Curtis looks like he can join him in that like if this isn't the most exciting time in your Liverpool fandom, if you're not fucking thrilled about this club, about this team. I don't know what more you want like I really don't know what more you want if you want United-esque dominance you're not going to get it because City and Chelsea have too much money and and United have too much money to not buy a title at some point to not buy their way into the argument United didn't have to deal with that they were clearly the richest team when they were dominating English football. Um, their biggest comp- competitor was Arsenal, who didn't have a fraction of the money. But once Chelsea came along with the money, once City came along with the money, United's dominance ended. Like, United were dominant from, like, year one of the Premier League up until, like, 04, when, when, um, Mourinho arrived and started spending the money. But, like, even then, Arsenal had taken, what, two or three titles off them? So, y- you're never gonna get, Dominance like United had, or dominance like we had back in the seventies and eighties, It won't happen again. But we're the closest fucking thing to it. Like we've been unbelievable the last two seasons. We're going really well this season. We're always bad in at least one Champions League group game. It always happens. Partisan, Bel- or Red Star Belgrade away. Anyone remember that? Anyone remember how bad we were at Napoli away a couple of times? Like we we've just had stinkers in the Champions League. It just it it happens to us. We weren't any any worse against Mithiljand than we were against Atalanta. We weren't any better. We were just the same against Mithiljand and against Ajax away as well. We were awful in both of those games, but we were just able to get the wins. This was a better team in Atalanta than, than those two. So like, you just have to be so positive about everything. Everything is going so well. Any player we want, we have a great chance of getting them. Like, If we decide we want... Uh, Erling Haaland we have a real chance of getting him if we decide we want Mbappe and we have the money like we genuinely could get him so I don't know I just think I just think we're in, in great great shape so for me everything's positive right now the club is great the team is great the manager's brilliant what more can you want? Exactly, we're in a great position but I think
2: we've gone way above the hour that Mr Gagstander likes just to stick to, so I think on that note we should call it a day, thank you so much for your time, for coming on and your insight and talking away Dave, really really appreciate it, hopefully we can do another one again soon, Yeah, but definitely. for now, give you a chance to, to, to plug your two-footed pardon, I listened to you scouted with Carl earlier for Brighton, that was a really good listen, so everybody should listen to that one as well
0: Yeah, so um obviously i most of the podcasts I do on AI now are on on the AI pro side. Uh I'd love to do more on, on the I still it is just time and trying to find the time, but I am gonna I am going to make more of an effort next year to do more on the free side. Um I do more pods with, with the likes of Mark and Stephen and, and, and just be more involved with, with people. Um so for that, uh yeah, other other than that, my two footed podcast is everyday on ePLindex.com uh, it comes out at 4 p.m. You'll find it on Spotify, iTunes, whatever you want, and it's just it's a look at the Premier League every single day. So it, it's it's my new project. It's it's what I'm doing now. So give that a listen if you if you can if you have a chance. Other than that, like thanks to Mark, thanks to Stephen for having me on this. It's been fun. I know I've talked a lot, but you know I had a lot to say. So
2: brilliant. No, really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy listening. And yeah, hopefully we can catch you again soon. So thanks very much.
1: Network.